bless you. Let's open with a word of prayer and let's pray and dig into the word. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We praise you, Lord, as we go to your word right now. I pray that man would decrease, that your spirit would increase, that you would be glorified. Again, give us ears to hear what your spirit would say to us tonight. May we not just hear it, but apply it to our lives and go out and live it in the midst of a lost and a dying world. We ask these things in your holy and your precious name we pray, and all God's people said. Amen. All right, to catch, anybody need a Bible, raise your hand. If you don't have one in your hand, you need one. Read the book, don't wait for the movie. If you don't have a good one at home, take that as our gift. We, we love to buy Bibles and give them away. We're all about it. Amen. All right, so Chronicles, as we know, we've been talking about the fact that this letter was written to the children of Israel who had been in bondage in Babylon for 70 years. God had, because they had turned themselves over to false idols, they'd been taken captive in Babylon. That's during the time of King Nebuchadnezzar and Daniel. That's during Daniel's time when he was there, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And so they spent 70 years in bondage, and now they're coming back to Israel, most specifically coming back to Jerusalem. And so this has been a history lesson. First Chronicles really covered the life of King David, and Second Chronicles covers the life of King Solomon. King Solomon dies at the end of the chapter tonight, uh, so we'll have more things we'll see in future chapters. So if you outline, grab it. And so the temple's been rebuilt as far as the history. They're being told how the temple was built, how God used uh, King David to gather all the implements, but he wasn't allowed to build it because he was a man of war. And then we see King Solomon, and he has finished the building of the temple. He's raised up uh, you know, the craftsmen, and now he's got everything going. When we come to tonight's chapter, his ministry is at full speed. The kingdom is as good as it gets. And as I, we talked about last week, that's a warning for all of us. You know, when we get comfortable and things are going perfect and there's no trials in our life, we, sometimes we can cease to be humble, broken, and desperate. We can cease to be usable for the kingdom of God. That's why it says in James, account it all joy when we fall into various trials. Not if, but when, because it's part of God's plan to mold us more into the image of our Savior. And as I say often, no one uses, everyone used in Scripture that was used mightily was suffered greatly. And so Solomon tonight, we're going to see him getting off the track. And it's not going to be in 2 Chronicles, but if you look in 1 Kings, uh, the chapter after this, these events from tonight's chapter is where he starts marrying all the women. We know it already, we saw last week that he's already mar married the Pharaoh's daughter. And so we know that through that, that they're going to be, idol worship is going to start, and then God's righteous judgment is going to come that leads to that captivity in Babylon that these people are coming back from. So these people that are coming back, They've been in Babylon 70 years, so most of them have never lived in Jerusalem, and they're getting a history lesson, and it's a great history lesson for us. Now, when I do outlines, I do them applicational. What I mean by that is, you know, when I teach, it's, it's observation, interpretation, application. What does it say? What does it mean? How does it apply to my life? That's called inductive Bible study. I've been able to teach that in Russia and India and other places to pastors, and it's just a real, um, it's called, you know, exegeting this, the text. It's a way of teaching the whole counsel of God and letting the Bible be the best commentary on the Bible itself. But when I do outlines, I always make them applicational. And what I want to do is take what we're learning in the text and give you something you can take home and apply to your life. And so the outline, we have seven points in tonight's text. First of all, I tell them the message, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Now, and that doesn't mean that I think that, that Solomon loses his soul, but boy, he gets off track tonight. And it's a lesson for us to learn from. We can see that this man was, 
wise. We know that he asked for wisdom and God gave him wisdom. God used him to write most of the Proverbs. Uh, he wrote Ecclesiastes, the Song of Solomon. So he was a very gifted and a very called man, but he was also like any of us. He was a man who began to compromise. And we're going to see that that area of weakness is going to keep him from God's highest. So first thing we're going to see is you don't have to advertise a fire. We'll talk about what that means, but the words and wisdom that can only come from the Lord will draw people to the truth. When we pa- the church I pastored in Santa Cruz, Santa Cruz is the tofu, tie-dye, new age, lesbian, capital United States that desperately needs Jesus, right? And we were looking for buildings, and sometimes you'd find these buildings in the middle of nowhere, and my assistants would always say, you don't have to advertise a fire. Because when someone's doing, teaching the Word of God, when the Word of God is there, when God's wisdom is there, people will find it. And you know what? That's what happens in tonight's text. We're going to see the Queen of Sheba travel between 1,200 and 1,500 miles, depending on whose uh, you know, perspective you, you follow, but at least 1,200 miles in each direction to come hear what Solomon would have to say, seeking the wisdom in Solomon. Why in the world? And she was probably the wealthiest woman on the planet at the time, and he was the wealthiest man on the planet, and she traveled all those miles because she was hungry for his wisdom, and no doubt probably to, to make him a trade partner. But you know what? What's amazing to me is this ungodly woman, this queen of Sheba, who was a pagan idolater, traveled 1,200 miles to hear the wisdom of God, and some people won't drive two miles to church. Amen? If you're new here, I'm, I'm kind of a straight shooter. Amen? But it's just tragic, right? So you don't have to advertise the fire. Number two, happy is the man or woman who walks in intimate fellowship with the Lord. When we're obedient, God is glorified and we get blessed. And God doesn't call us just to know about Him, but to walk in intimate fellowship with Him. Number three, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You know, we're going to see that the next point after this, that while Solomon is a very rich man, for most of his life, wisdom and his walk with God was the priority and money came second. We're going to see that start to change in tonight's text. We're going to see him, point number four there, from wisdom and riches to riches and wisdom. Now he's going to be all about gold and all about accumulating wealth and taxing people and all the things that he was doing, and he lost sight. And guys, when we, that's the, the reason that I'm thankful that I've never won the lottery, amen? Well, you have to play, I guess, to win it, so that's not going to happen, Right? But the reality is, if I did, I, it might take my eyes off of Jesus, amen? And my prayer is always, Lord, don't give me a dollar more than, than I need to stay desperate for you, right? When we, you know, we have enough money in the bank and everybody's healthy and the kids are all doing good, like I said, we can lose sight of what's really important. But we're going to see him starting to fall in, more in love with his riches than he is with the Lord. Then we're going to see that salvation is a free gift. You know, a Christ-centered ministry focuses on people, not profits, we're going to see that tonight, Solomon starts taking his focus off of people, starts putting it more on money. And again, this man was so wise in the beginning that this was not an issue for him, but time has now passed. He's coming toward the end of his life. He's built the temple. His ministry, you know, his, his kingdom is, is, at its, is running like a top. He's got, you know, the, he's got power over the world around him. He's the richest man on the planet, and he's going to cease to be desperate for God. We're going to see that salvation is a free gift, and the focus of ministry is people and not profits. Amen? And I'm talking about P-R-O-F-I-T-S, right? Profits, right? And sadly, if you watch some Christian television, you would think it's all about money, and they make Jesus a holy Santa Claus up in the sky, and if you give a love offering, and if you give this, and Cadillac, Cadillac, stop it already. Amen? 
That is so contrary because what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? I got in trouble with a guy a few weeks back. He had this thing. I didn't know it was him. He posted it online, and I was watching it, and I just wrote false prophet at the bottom of it, and it was him. He posted it of himself. And so he challenged me. He said, what do you mean? I said, bro, all you talk about is money and getting rich. That's got nothing to do with the gospel. And seed in the Bible only represents the word of God. It never represents money, not one time. Amen? And he's like, you have a, you have a what was that? Uh, call, he called it a doctrine of uh, poverty. That was it. Your poverty doctrine. Well, I guess it determines on what you think makes you rich. Amen? Salvation is a free gift. And may we never be so successful that we cease to be desperate for the Lord. He had told all the kings, and Solomon knew this. He told them three things. Do not multiply gold. Don't multiply uh, horses. And don't multiply wives. And we're going to see in tonight's text uh, that he multiplies horses and gold. And then if you go to Kings, the chapter that would come right after this, chronologically, is when the thing with women takes place. And then we're going to see the end of his life here and that life is but a vapor. You know, when we stand before Almighty God, the things that we think are important here, most of the things that we're so caught up with will absolutely not matter in heaven. Amen? The next time you get a ding in your car, just remember it's all going to burn. Amen? The next time, you know, something falls apart of those things that you're so held, hold, you know, gri- gripping with both hands, I pray that we'll recognize it's all going to perish. It's not going to outlast this life. So let's begin there looking at what is a prophet of man to gain the whole world and lose his own soul. We're going to be introduced to the Queen of Sheba. You know, people talk about the Queen of Sheba in everyday life. I've heard her referenced often because she was this wealthy woman during those days. And a lot of times, I love when people at work especially quote stuff out of the Bible and they don't know what's out of the Bible. What do you think you are, the Queen of Sheba? I'm like, what do you know about the Queen of Sheba, right? We start talking about Queen of Sheba, right? Let's talk about the writings on the wall. You're right. That's in Daniel. Do you know where that is in Daniel? Do you know what happened when he wrote on the wall? (laughs) They were profiting and worshiping the false god and getting drunk, and God wrote on the wall, and they all dropped dead. How'd that work out? Amen? And so a lot of the stuff that people say today, they don't know what's in the Bible, and you won't know either if you don't read it. Amen? So let's begin there in verse 1. It says, Now when the queen of Sheba heard the fame of Solomon, she came to Jerusalem to test Solomon with hard questions having a great, very retinue, camels that bore spices, gold in abundance, precious stones. And when she came to Solomon, she spoke with him about all that was in her heart. So here's a woman who's extremely wealthy. Here's a woman, we're going to see that the value of what she brings Solomon to ask him questions in today's revenue would be $215 million dollars. She's going to bring $215 million offering to Solomon to ask him some questions. And, and there's, you know, there's kind of, in the text, as you read through it, it almost sounds like, I can't say for sure, that people had to bring a gift for him to give them counsel. See, Solomon's getting away from just being a man of wisdom to being a man who's caught up in the things of this world. So she's going to travel from the Arabian Peninsula, and again, the land of Sheba, And uh, Josephus, if you know who that is, Josephus is an historical writer. He was not a believer, but he was a historical writer in the first century. And he says of this woman, and she was the queen of Egypt and Ethiopia. So she's going to bring him hard questions to test him. And you know what? Doesn't the world do that to us? 
When people find out I'm a pastor, they always have questions. And I actually, I love it. When I hear that, I have questions you're not going to be able to answer. Let's go. I'm excited about that, right? Because I love that. Because we know who the answer is, amen? And we know the truth. And we don't have to, you know, and somebody the other day, uh, pray for Andy Stanley. You know, you guys know who that is? That's Charles Stanley's son. And I just saw this thing this week where he says, well, we act like this is a book. It's not a book. It's a bunch of writings. We act like everything in here is true. It's not all true. We act like everything in here is like scientific. It's not all scientific. We found that there's flaws, there's errors in here. There's this, there's that. And we don't have, I'm like, what in the world? And then I wrote in the comment underneath it, the Bible is the most scientific book ever written. And then all the, all the science heads came falling out of the sky saying, prove it. And I just quoted a few things like, you know, there's still people today think the world's flat, and everybody thought the world was flat in the time of Job. But if you read the book of Job, it says there, or it's actually in, it says that God looks down upon the circumference of the earth. That's one scientific fact that the whole world didn't know, but the Bible said so, amen? And then I quoted like 10 things like that, just went down the list. And then, of course, they're barking back, the world's five billion years old. I said, how do you know? Were you here? Can I get an amen to that? Right? <laughs> And so the point I'm making is that we need to know what the Bible says and why we believe it. And people want to come to us with hard questions. And this queen is going to come to Solomon with hard questions because she's heard about his wisdom. And she's heard about his wealth. She's heard about the rebuilding of the temple. And she wants to find out, what is it about this guy? I've got questions. I need to find answers. Do you know that we are the ones that God uses? You know, I, I think of this illustration. My dad, along with being a pastor for 60 years, was CEO of a company. And I used to work for my dad's company. It was a big company in Silicon Valley. From 14 years old and, and above, I would work in my dad's company in the warehouse every summer to make some money, which I used to buy a Camaro. But, my, but, my, but I, worked in my, I worked in my dad's warehouse, and what would happen is every year when I would get there, nobody knew that he was my dad. And so they would be talking, you know, about the CEO of the company, and they'd, oh, he's coming into the warehouse, and everybody would be petrified, and my dad would come in and say, hey, son, you want to go to lunch? And I'd go to lunch with my dad. Now, when I came back, do you think they treated me different? You better believe it. And they were also, like, making sure that when they were around me, that they certainly didn't say anything bad about my dad, and they would not take long lunches anymore because they thought, right? But the point is, because of who my dad was, people looked at me different. And you know what? Because of who our dad is, people look at us different. Amen? And, and we are representing. And, I want, and when I worked there, I got there early. I worked hard because I knew that my dad, I wanted to be a good example in the workplace, even if my dad wasn't there. But because he was the president of the company, the CEO, I wanted to be a better worker above and beyond that, right? Because I didn't want to be a bad reflection on my dad. I prayed we don't want to be a bad reflection on our heavenly father. Amen? So she comes from this far land, and I got questions for Solomon. I want to find out. I got some tough things to ask him. I'm going to bring him a big gift, and I'm going to ask him some very difficult things. See, Solomon is now world famous. Can you imagine? He's 1,200 miles away. They've heard all about him, and there's no internet. Amen? 1,200 miles away, and she gets on camels and horses, and imagine all the stuff they brought with them. They had to have this huge caravan. It probably took them months. I looked online, 1,200 miles is like Denver from here. So can you imagine just loading up some horses and getting a bunch of people and dragging off to Denver? Well, that's what they did, just so she could ask some questions of King Solomon. So to see if he was the real deal, 
The queen is testing Solomon's wisdom, but also his character and integrity. Would he be a good trade partner? And again, about 1,200 miles. Uh, 1,200 miles on a plane can get you tired. It will definitely get you tired in a car. I don't know about riding a camel. Twelve. I've been to, I've been to Israel. I rode a camel like 400 yards. I was gone. I was done. 1,200 miles. Then it says there in verse two. So Solomon answered all her questions. There was nothing so difficult for Solomon that he could not explain it to her. She came to him and she thought she was going to stump him. She came to him and she thought she had answers. Now again, here's what happens. They don't have to advertise the fire, right? The fact that God's using Solomon in such a great way, the fact that he's as wise as he is, the fact that God's blessing him so much, people are coming from all over the known world to ask him questions, and when they ask him questions, he had all the answers. Guys, when they ask us questions, we really do have all the answers. Why? Because we know science, right, is knowledge. Omniscience, our God is all-knowing, and the Word of God has the answer for everything in this life. Amen? It has the answers. This is the answer book. Now, I might say, I should say we all should know it. There's things in, that maybe we don't read our Bible as much, but I want to tell you, we won't be prepared to share with a lost and a dying world if we don't spend time with the Lord and if we don't understand and know what his word said. So she comes this great distance. She's so intrigued by Solomon that she leaves the comfort of her palace and travels 1,200 miles, make it 2,400 miles because she's got to go home. And she comes with all this gold and all these things to bring to him because for her, knowledge and understanding and finding out who this man was was worth the sacrifice she would have to make. How much are, are you willing to endure to be in the presence of our Savior? She was willing to travel 1,200 miles. By the way, you've been to the Middle East? Hot! Can I get him into that? Hot, right? 1,200 miles through the desert, 1,200 miles back, just to ask questions of the wisest man on the planet. You know, who's, you know who's smarter than the wisest man on the planet? Almighty God. Amen? And yet here we are, and we won't even open up our Bible some days. We'll get so busy about other things, and we'll get so caught up in other stuff. A pagan, idolatrous woman traveled 2,400 miles to ask questions from a man of God, and we know Almighty God, and the veil's been torn, and we can be in His presence anywhere at any time, and sometimes we're too busy to spend time with the Lord. Can I get an amen to that? So she spoke with him all that was in her heart, and no doubt after traveling so far, I bet she was getting questions ready on the, on, the, on the commute, amen? They're on their way, and I can imagine her, oh, that's another good question, what else? And they're writing stuff down, oh, that'll stump them for sure, right? And they're writing all this stuff down, and she's, she's for sure thinks she's got him stumped, and you know what? Because God gave him wisdom, he was able to answer all that she had to say. It says again, so he answered all her questions. It was nothing so difficult for the king that he could not explain it to her. So Solomon answered every question, with his God-given wisdom, and there's nothing he couldn't answer. And I truly believe as we walk in the Spirit, you know, the Bible says the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. Amen? And if we truly fear God, if we walk in intimate fellowship with God, we will have answers for a lost and a dying world. Amen? Now, it may not be the answer they want to hear, and they may want to debate you, and I gave, I put like 10 things, and then I talked about all the fulfilled prophecy by Jesus, and I put all this stuff on, and I said, if you really want to look, just go to alwaysbeready.com, and I said, if you're really searching for the truth, you know what we'll call you in a month? A Christian. Amen? 
because that's what happens with people who are really looking for the truth. So he answers all her questions, and again, she's come this great distance, verse 3 and 4, when the queen of Sheba had seen the wisdom of Solomon and the house that he had built and the food on his table and the seating of his servants and the service of his waiters and their apparel, his cupbearers and their apparel, his entryway by which he went up to the house of the Lord, there was no more spirit in her. It just knocked the life out of her. And back in her palace, she was a very wealthy woman. And then she comes to a man who's wise, the wisest man on the planet, a man who's been uniquely gifted and called by God. And she, just being in his presence, it takes the life out of her. She can't even compare to what she's seeing in front of her. By the way, here's what she saw. First of all, we know that he was getting a little caught up in himself because he built the temple. And if you remember, how long did it take to build the temple? Who remembers? Number of completeness in the Bible, what is it? Seven years. How long did he take building his own house? Thirteen. Hello? You spent seven years on God's house, thirteen on your own. Okay? So we're starting to see a little priority shift on Solomon. Amen? He's, so if, if the temple was magnificent, I have an idea the palace was it's so magnificent that the Queen of Sheba was blown away. The amazing food that was on his table... The seating of his servants. In the Bible, we see, guess how many people he fed in his house every night? 16,000. You thought Thanksgiving at your house was tough, right? How many, how many bulls and goats and lambs and chickens and how many animals have you got to slaughter to feed 16,000 people every meal? So this guy was as wealthy as they come. He was, again, his, his household, his wisdom, uh, the, the temple itself. The queen of Sheba was just blown away. You know why? Because she had an expectation. But when she got there, it was far better than she could have even imagined. And when I thought about that when I was studying this this week, I thought, that's, that's heaven. Amen? Because we, we know heaven's going to be amazing. Amen? But when we get there, we're all going to be blown away. Because no matter how great you think it's going to be, it's going to be way greater than that. And I long for heaven. You know, I will say this, and, and um, my wife gets on me a little bit sometimes. She said, babe, all you think about now is heaven. That's all you think about, and it's true. It's true. Since my son went to heaven, you know, 16 months ago yesterday, uh, I, yeah, I think about heaven all the time. Like every day, all day. And I've heard people say, well, you're so heavenly-minded, you're no earthly good. I've never met that person. I mean, people are so earthly-minded, they're no heavenly good. Amen? And the reality is that there's this eternal perspective. And you know what happens when you have an eternal perspective? The stuff of this world just doesn't matter that much anymore. And what matters is people, because the only thing we're taking to heaven with us is people. Amen? And you get less worried about what people are going to think about you. You have a greater passion to be about it for the kingdom of God. And so... Again, we see that when she showed up and saw what she saw, she was blown away. And again, it's an ideal for what will happen to us when we enter into heaven one day. Everything she heard and saw, the detail, the apparel, all that he had built, left the queen speechless. It knocked the wind out of her. She was completely overwhelmed. There was no more spirit in her. She was amazed by all that God had done in and through her, uh, through, through, uh, her the greatness of God. She just saw the greatness of God around her. She was blown away because she had a beautiful palace, but, the, but Almighty God's presence wasn't there. And in the temple, God's presence was there. Amen? And so when she came, there was just something different. And I pray for all of us, you know, that 
people would see, if they spent any time with us, that there's something different. Amen? You know, why is it everybody else is panicking and you're not? Why is it everybody else is scared to death of COVID and you're not? Why is it that everybody else is panicking about what's going on in the world around them and you're not? You know, why is it? And it's, not, and it's nothing that we should be, take praise for. It's just the fact that we belong to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Our God is in control. He's all-knowing, almighty, all-powerful. You can't threaten us with heaven. God's in control. We have nothing to be afraid of. Amen? One of the best things that happened to me getting really sick. Most of you know I spent a year in the hospital, almost a year in the hospital in 2009 from a botched surgery, and I had a coworker that I tried to reach for the gospel for 15 years, my Muslim boss, and talked about the Lord all the time, and she mocked Jesus all the time. But she was calling the church office to check up on me more than anybody else, more than all the people in our church. She was calling every day. And then finally, I came for a visit by the church. I weighed 100 uh, 38 pounds. I weigh 242 right now. So I was pretty That's what happens when you don't eat for nine months by mouth. And I came in and she said, you know what? The, the first Sunday you're back at your church, I'm going to come. She said, I don't know if there is a God, but if there is one, he's your God. Because I see the faith in your people and I see the faith that you have and how you're unwavering no matter what happens. Now, again, I want to know that I failed God plenty of times as well. I don't want to make myself the hero of the story, right? Because there's times when I've had my chance to share my faith and I've blown it. But I want you to know that may we live in such a way that just like when the Queen of Sheba comes, she's blown away by the temple. She's blown away by the palace. She's blown away by his wisdom and knocks the wind out of her. She had great expectations, but when she got there, it was far beyond what she could have ever imagined. The guy is because when God is with us, it's just different. And again, you don't have to advertise a fire. And I'm talking about the fire of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Then she said, verse 5 to the king, it was a true report, which I heard in my own land, about your words and your wisdom. I'm 1,200 miles away, and I heard there's this really wise guy, way 1,200 miles, and I loaded everything up, and I came out here to talk to you, and you know what? You did not disappoint. I am blown away by the wisdom that you have. And guys, we have wisdom because the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. Amen? And then verse 6 says, however... I did not believe their words until I came and saw with my own eyes. And indeed, half of, half of the greatness of your wisdom was not told me. You exceed the fame which I heard. You know, people have a vision of who God is, and like I said about heaven, but even the world today has an idea of who God is. And the reality is, we should be the greatest reflection of who God is. And the greatest thing that should reflect God is what he's done in our life. Amen? Now that you can look at the universe. By the way, I love when, when people challenge me, and, and, and anybody who believes in evolution is just stupid. Can I get an amen to that? And the reason is they believe it in spite of the evidence because they don't want to have to believe in a creator because if they believe in a creator, then they're accountable to him. Amen? But, but do you, to think that random chance the lightning hit nothing and nothing turned into something and then it grew a thing and then, you know, you know, it was an amoeba and lightning hit a puddle and then the thing crawled out and grew an arm and now it's you? Come on, from the goo to the zoo to you? I don't think so, amen? But people want to believe that because they don't want to believe in an almighty God. But look, you can look in a telescope or a microscope and everything you look at shows you the power and the organization of our God, amen? I took an anatomy class, I'm like... People think this happened by chance. By the way, they think we came from monkeys. Where's the transitional forms? Amen? You took time to go from... We got a lot of monkeys and a lot of people. We got no monkey people. Can I get an amen to that? <laughs> we don't have any transitional forms. 
Because it's, there's no wisdom. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. Proclaiming to be wise, they have become as fools. Amen? And they'll tell you that we're ignorant because we believe in Almighty God, that He spoke the world into existence, that He holds the whole world in His hands. This woman was intrigued enough to travel 2,400 miles, and after meeting with Solomon, she was blown away. And I pray that we would represent God in such a way that we spend time with people and we share with them the love of God and the grace of God and the mercy of God, and we talk to them about from the Word of God, that they are blown away. Amen? Our God can do that, and we need to pray for divine appointments. So she came and saw the words and the claims of others were never as grand as seeing it for herself. And knowing about Jesus based on the words of others is not as good as knowing Jesus yourself. Amen? I use this illustration a lot. My favorite place to go to on vacation is the Bahamas. I love, I, by the way, it's not a vacation if there's no palm trees. I'm just saying, okay? So I, I like a place where, I'm, where there's palm trees and water and, yeah, I'm sweating a little bit. It's good stuff. I like it. But what's interesting is I would tell people, would you rather I go to the Bahamas and tell you about it, or would you rather go yourself? Because if you'd rather have me go for you, I'll sign up anytime you're ready, amen? Buy me a ticket, I'll tell you all, I'll come have dinner with you and tell you all about it. But here's the thing, some Christians do that, where you let me go spend 40 hours studying for a Bible study, and then let me tell you about it, and there's nothing wrong with that, but this should be gravy to what happens during the week when you open the Bible for yourself, amen? Should be opening up and, and having intimate fellowship with the Lord, not just again, what you get at church. So point number one there, you don't have to advertise the fire. The words and wisdom that can only come from the Lord will draw people to the truth. A pagan, idolatrous queen traveled 2,400 miles through the desert on camels and horses, dragging $215 million worth of stuff to give it to, to King Solomon so she could talk to him. Now, point number two, happy is the man or woman who walks in intimate fellowship with the Lord. Look at verse 7. It says, happy are your men. Now, this is the, the Queen of Sheba talking. Happy are your men and happy are your servants who stand continually before you and hear your wisdom. You know, the word there, oh, how happy, we're going to see blessed is the next word. Oh, how happy the people are that they get to just hear the wisdom and the things that you teach. The people that get to be just in your presence and be around you. The people that Serve the God that you serve. God's presence was there, and this was the place where everybody wanted to be. What, how blessed they are to, to be in that presence. And guys, I want you to know how blessed you are to be a child of the King. Amen? Don't ever lose sight of that. Don't ever allow the temporary things of this life to make you think that somehow your life is a bummer, because it's not. Amen? We know the Lord. I'll tell you, God's been teaching me a lot through the death of my son. I know I, I, I probably talk about it more than I should, but I just want you to know that the hardest thing in my lifetime is a thousand, is my son going to heaven before me. But what would be, be a million times worse is if he didn't go to heaven. Amen? And heaven is more precious because my son is there. And I know that if he could come back, he wouldn't want to come back. But God's been teaching me to learn to be content, even with the fact that my son is not here anymore. And, and, and we know a lot of people in this room are going through the same thing, right, Val? A lot of us are going through it. And here's the reality. We miss them deeply, but you know what's amazing? We're going to see them again, and we're never going to have to say goodbye. Amen? No more death, no more pain, no more sorrow, no more suffering. And you know what? The queen of Sheba is blown away by just 
I can't even, they, your wisdom, it's the presence of God that is there. And she's envious of it. And she's saying, man, the people that are, get to be in your presence, the people get to hear you teach, the people get to they ask your questions and you answer them. I've never heard wisdom like this before. And you'll never hear it anywhere else but from the Holy Spirit. Amen? It's only Almighty God who will speak the truth. And she speaks of how happy and blessed everyone is that is there. And let me say this as Christians. We need to make sure that, again, as believers, that we should have joy. Amen? Jesus, others, yourself, right? J-O-Y, when you put Jesus first and others second, it shouldn't have anything to do with our temporary things of this life. And if you're walking around looking like you've been sucking on a lemon and inviting people to church, they're not going to want to come. Amen? Oh, all of a sudden, the gas prices, and the the economy, and the politics, come to my church. Yeah, right. I want to be around a hundred more people just like you. I don't think so, right? Because there's just no... Guys, we have the joy of the Lord at who we are in Christ, and nobody can ever take that away from us. No one will ever snatch us out of his hand. My name's written in Lamb's Book of Life, the best 401k ever, heaven, amen? And so she's just saying, man, the, the people around you are so joyful, Everybody here, it's amazing to me. Look at, look at that. I just, I, I've never been around anything like this before. And I've seen that with unbelievers. And maybe before you knew the Lord, you saw that. You would see believers and go, what, why, are they, why are they so different? We ought to be different because we have the Holy Spirit. Unbelievers are at some point envious of what we have and they should be. Amen? Now, they will make excuses. They will mock. By the way, no one swears to Buddha, ever. Never heard it. I never heard, I've never heard anybody go, Hare Krishna. They say Jesus Christ all the time, but they, don't, they never mock. Nobody gets mad if there's a Buddha in the middle of a restaurant, but if there's a cross on a hillside, they're suing the county, right? Why? Because the cross of Christ is a stone of offense, right? And it's supposed to be. I told you, I said this on Sunday, some guy just got kicked out of the Mall of America for wearing a Jesus shirt. They were going to arrest him. I want to take a field trip there. I think me and Joshua should go together. Can I get amen to that? And walk up and down the hall with Jesus shirts on all day and wait for someone to come arrest us. Because you know what? And they'll say, people are being offended. They're supposed to be. Amen? The cross is to offend a lost and a dying world to see their need for a savior. And then she says, blessed be the Lord your God. There it is. See, so she does understand. See, she understands why there is such great wealth, but that's secondary. But she understands why there's so much wisdom. She understands the joy and the, how blessed the people are that are there and how different it is from her kingdom where they have the riches, but they don't have the, the joy and they don't have the wisdom. It's all missing. Something's missing. And then she says there in verse Again, eight, blessed be the Lord your God who delighted in you, setting you on the throne to be king for the Lord your God, because your God has loved Israel to establish them forever. Therefore, he made you king over them to do justice and righteousness. She's she's witnessing better than a lot of Christians I know. Amen? She's talking about the Lord. She's giving God the glory. She's giving God the credit. She's talking about how God is blessing his people. She's talking about how God has, has by, by Solomon being in the position that he's in, that how blessed that they are, that he is the king. The verse that comes to mind when I look at all of this is Matthew 5, 16. It says, let your, shine, your light shine so before men 
that they see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. This is a perfect example of that verse, verse 8. Amen? They saw the good works, she saw the difference, and she praises his God. She gives his God the glory, the true and living God, the only God that exists. And she's praising him because of transformation out of the mouth of a pagan queen. An idol-worshiping pagan queen is praising the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. People who are looking for truth ought to be paying attention to the things we say, but even more, they should take a look at our lives and see if we are as good as they've been hearing. Again, not that we're, you know, we don't go to heaven because we're good. We go to heaven because God's good. But as believers, we should be good. Amen? There should be good works, right? And so our lives should be different than a lost and a dying world. We should have a, a testimony that, that people recognize something's different about us. And certainly that's what happens here with the Queen of Sheba. Now notice what she gives him. Uh, verse 9, it says there, And she gave him 120 talents of gold. That's 9,000 pounds of gold. And this was a few days ago, but I checked the price of gold for the ounce. So you take 9,000 pounds times 16 for each of the pounds, and then you multiply it by $1,900 roughly, $271 million worth of gold. She brought him spices. Notice what it says here. She brought him 120 talents of gold, spices in great abundance, precious stones. There were never any spices such as those that the Queen of Sheba gave to King Solomon. So the best of the spices, we're going to see beautiful wood, precious stones. That's stuff like diamonds and rubies, right? And so they bring, she brings all of this as a gift to him because she wants to hear. Because here's the reality. Knowing the truth is better than gold and silver and precious stones. Amen? Knowing the true and living God is better than all of that. Now, sadly, you know, there's some debate. I don't think the Queen of Sheba got saved. I don't think we, we see evidence of that in Scripture, but I hope she did, right? But the fact that she was exposed to it got her attention, but ultimately she has to make a choice as to what she wants to do about the true and living God. The truth is, if she was really submitted to the Lord, I wouldn't have gone home. Amen? This is where the Lord is. This is where God's presence is. Hey, take the stuff back to him and give the kingdom to my son. I'm staying here. Amen? Because what's better? There's no better place to be than in the presence of Almighty God. So point number two there, happy is the man and woman who walks in intimate fellowship with the Lord. She saw it on the people. Look at the joy they have. Look at how they, how they respond. Look, man, they have joy that we don't have. I don't see this in my kingdom. I only see it here. She sees the difference because of the presence of God. Point number three, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. It says, also the servants of Haram, the servants of Solomon, who brought gold from Ophir, brought algam wood and precious stones, and the king made walkways of the algam wood for the house of the Lord and the king's house, also harps and stringed instruments for the singers. And there were none such as had seen before in the land of Judah. So they bring these precious stones, they bring this wood that is the best wood, and what does he use it for? To make stairs up into the temple and into his palace. So he takes the best of the best to use it again, for building and improving upon the temple and his uh, palace. 
And it says in verse 12, Now King Solomon gave to Queen of Sheba all she desired, whatever she asked, much more than she had brought to the king. So she turned and went her own, to her own country, she and her servants. So as much as she brought him, it says in that text, he gave her more back. He told her, whatever you want, you can have it. Whatever you want. And as believers, I think we ought to be generous. Amen? You know, it's a fruit of the Holy Spirit, right? Just people that we, you know, preach the word, love the people. That's my six-word philosophy of ministry. People love to ask me all the time, uh, they'll want to do conferences or whatever, they'll say, what's your philosophy of ministry? And they think I'm going to give them a 12-page document. And I tell them it's six words. Preach the word, love the people. What does that mean? I want to have the best fed and most loved people. Amen? And you let me know if I'm failing you there. I want people to be loved and know that they're loved when they walk through the door, and I want to make sure that you guys are fed. And that's not going to happen if I don't feed myself first. Amen? But as forgiven, born-again believers in Christ, we should give God the best of our time and our talents and our resources. And Solomon understood, at least here, and she goes back with more than she came with, but she left the place, she left the truth, she left the answer. Do you think she's in, if, she's not, if she didn't get saved, she's in hell right now. Do you think she's glad about how much stuff she got back from Solomon? And my prayer is that that's not the case, only God knows for sure. But like I said, I mean, if, we've, if we come into the presence of God and we, and we go home without him, if we come into the place where God's presence dwells, where God is moving, where the Holy Spirit has convicted us, and we leave and go home without giving our life to Him, I can think of nothing more tragic than that. So Solomon blessed the queen, gave her as much as she wanted. You guys, we count out, give God, and we will never be able to bless God more than He already blesses us. Uh, now, Jesus spoke of the queen of Sheba. Did you know that? It's in Matthew 12. He said this, the queen of the south, and it's the queen of Sheba, will rise up in judgment with this generation and condemn it, for she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and indeed a greater than Solomon is here. Jesus was talking to the Pharisees, and the Pharisees were mocking Jesus. They're standing in the presence of Almighty God, and they're mocking him, they're challenging him, they're crying out later for him to be crucified. And he says to these religious people that the queen of the south, Sheba, will rise up in judgment with this generation and condemn it, for she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and indeed a greater than Solomon is here. She came 1,200 miles, 2,400 mile round trip to talk to Solomon, and I'm the king of kings, no, I'm not me, but Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He's standing right in front of them, and they're not seeking him. And how tragic that is. By the way, we are the most accountable of any generation that's ever walked on this planet. We have more access to the Word of God than anybody's ever had. Amen? Some of you pick out which Bible you want to bring and which one matches your purse on Sunday. Amen? We got so many Bibles. We got so many commentaries. We have Christian radio. We have Christian music. We have, you know, even our church, we got three women's Bible studies, right? I mean, you know, pick on this day, that day, this time, that time. We got men. There's so many opportunities to study God's Word. There's so many opportunities for prayer. There's so many opportunities for all these things to get to know the Lord better, and we're going to be accountable because we have so much. And sadly, some of us are so caught up in the world that we're missing out on the incredible blessing that we have in the Lord. 
So Solomon gave her and everything. She went to her own country, went back with her servants. And he's using her as an example. Jesus does later that she, she will hold you guys accountable because she traveled far just to hear from Solomon and the king of kings is standing in front of you. Point number four, for wisdom, from wisdom and riches to riches and wisdom. Now we're going to start seeing the slant and the change. This is Pastor Dave's opinion. But the change in King Solomon, where his focus is getting more and more on wealth than it is on wisdom and honoring God. Now remember, when God asked him and said, I'll give you whatever you want, he could have asked for riches then and he didn't. You guys remember that? And he asked for wisdom. And God said, because you asked for wisdom and not for wealth, I'm going to give you wealth. And because you asked for wisdom and not to conquer your enemies, I'm going to give you authority over your enemies, right? And so because he asked for the right thing, God blessed him with all the rest of it. But sadly now, decades have gone by. The, everything is built. Everything is flourishing. And now, and just like J. Paul Getty was once asked, how much money do you need to be happy? His answer was a little bit more. And the sad part is true that worldly riches will never satisfy. Look what it says in verse 13. And the weight of the gold that came to Solomon yearly was 666 talents of gold. I don't think I would have wanted 666 talents of gold. I'm just saying. Give, me, give one back. <laughs> Amen to that. So this is more than 50,000 pounds of gold came to him every year. So he was between taxing and offerings and all these things. And if you weigh that out, it's about $1.5 billion a year in gold was coming to Solomon every year. And it was being given to him through taxation and, and through... Uh, you know, gifts and all those types of things. And so the guy is as wealthy as it gets, and he's just getting wealthier every day. But we're going to see that the flesh is never satisfied. And we're going to see that his hunger for more wealth. Do we live in a world that's hungry for wealth? If you watch these guys on TV and they're so full of themselves and they're so arrogant, and I'm about money, and I'm a money maker, and I'm a money maker, and I make money, and I'm wealthy, and I'm this. And they're so full of themselves. And it's so tragic because we've yet to see a hearse pulling a U-Haul. Amen? Because when you die, you're not taking anything with you. You came into this world naked, naked you came naked, and you're just going to leave. You're going to stand before Almighty God, and he's not going to be impressed by your 401k or your bank accounts or how much real estate you own. Amen? But the world we live in today... They think that, that score is being kept on how much stuff you have. It's all going to burn. They're fighting over deck chairs in the Titanic, amen? Ship's going down. So he's getting all this, plus taxes from merchants and surrounding kings and governors. He's the wealthiest man in the world, but he continued to heavily tax merchants and surrounding nations, and it's going to result in a revolt and a great problem for Solomon's son after Solomon dies. He's taking every nickel and dime he can possibly get in taxes. He'd be comfortable in California, amen? But they just tax him into the ground, and he's never satisfied, and he always wants more, and he doesn't need any more. But he continues to hunger for more stuff. It says there, besides, verse 14, the traveling merchants and traders brought, and all the kings of Arabia and the governors of the country brought gold and silver to Solomon. So that, that $1.5 billion doesn't even count all the other taxes he's getting from the merchant. It doesn't count all the other you know, people from Arabia and all the other governors that are coming and bringing him money. Now, let's, here's how much money he has. Look at verse 15. And King Solomon made 200 
large shields of hammered gold. 600 shekels of hammered gold went into each shield. Okay, I broke that down. Each shield was roughly $211,000 for a shield. Now, let me ask you a question. Do you ever see anybody fighting in a, an army with a, with a gold shield? First of all, because it's too expensive, but more importantly, would you rather have iron or bronze or, or gold if you want to fend somebody off? They use bronze. They use iron, right? Right? It's because it's sturdier. Shield doesn't work. So you know what he does with the shields? We're going to see. He puts them up on the walls. It's artwork. 200 shields at 211,000 each. That's $40 million worth of shields. That's when you got so much money, you don't know what to do with it, right? It's like some of these TV shows you see. And I found this carpet, this ancient carpet for $800,000. Really? They got rugs down at Home Depot for 200 bucks, bro. It could have saved you some money, right? They're not good for battle. But this is what happens when you have so much money. You just don't know how to spend it. There's companies that... that I saw this one company, and they're getting a lot of grief for their stuff that they pointed toward young, young children, and they have, like, hoodies for $1,500, like a hoodie sweatshirt. And people are buying them. It's just a hooded sweatshirt with their logo on it for $1,500. I'm like, you might be rich, but you're stupid. But here's the thing. But notice it says he's got so much money, he's, got, he's making shields and putting them on the walls in the temple. Notice it says there in, the, in, his, in his palace. And then it says next to that, he also made 300 shields of hammered gold. 300 uh, shekels of gold went into each shield. And the king put them on the house of the forest of Lebanon. So this is another home, and he's putting more gold and more shields on the wall. This is another, so $70 million worth of golden shields put up on the wall. Is he, is he losing sight of what's important here? Why would you even spend time making golden shields? I don't get it. But this is what happens when you take your focus off what's eternal and he starts focusing on the temporal. And he's doing this by taxing people into the ground. Look at verse 17. Moreover, the king made a throne of ivory. Now, ivory is expensive. Ivory is difficult to find. And he made a throne of ivory. So you can imagine, you had to have craftsmen, you had to have people build it, and then they build it, but then this is the crazy part, and then he overlaid it with gold. So ivory is amazing. Why don't you, if you're just overlaying it with gold, you could put anything under it. But this just goes to show he has so much money, he's trying to figure out ways to spend it. And, it's, and what's happening is it's becoming more and more opulent. Now again, when you're doing it for the Lord and for his kingdom, according to God's word and God's command, that's you giving to the Lord. But all of this stuff is really more for himself. And, he's and so what's happening here? He's so focused on wealth and riches and opulence and having people see how wealthy he was and how rich he was that he's gone from wisdom being the priority to riches becoming the priority. And it's tragic. Notice what it says moving on. And the throne had six steps with a footstool of gold. Because, of course, you need a golden footstool. What else would you make a footstool out of? which fastened to the throne, and there were armrests on either side of the place to sit, and two lions stood beside the armrests. So there were six steps up, lions on the sides of the step, and Solomon was high up on the throne looking down on the people. Lions were symbols of royalty as kings of the beast, and Solomon's house was much larger in the temple. He's becoming full of himself, and he's headed toward destruction. 
don't fall into the trap of judging success based on worldly standards. Amen? Don't allow yourself to fall into the trap of thinking that you need to be famous in the eyes of the world. Who cares? Amen? Let's just be faithful to the Lord. Then it says in verse 19, 12 lions stood there, one one on each side of the six steps. Nothing like this has been made for any other kingdom. Of course, we got to be. So talk about prosperity. Notice what it says there in verse 20, and all the king's drinking vessels were gold, and all the vessels of the house of the forest of Lebanon were pure gold, and no, and no one was, not one was silver, but this was accounted as nothing in the days of Solomon. They would throw silver out like rocks. So everything had to be, and again, when it's in the temple for the Lord, and if God commands it, and if this is what God wants us to do, then we want to give God our best, but we don't want to be, again, building up something for ourselves. And there's just so much opulence here, and so much of him focusing on riches instead of focusing on the Lord. Verse 21, and for the king's ships went to Tarshish. Who is from Tarshish? Who do we know from there? Saul of Tarshish. Who becomes? Apostle Paul. With the servants of Hiram, once, once every three years, the merchant ships came bringing gold and silver and ivory. Now look at this, and apes and monkeys. He's so rich, he's got his own zoo. <laughs> right? It says apes and monkeys. So he's got gold and silver and ivory, and ships are coming in, bringing more stuff, because he's just got to figure out a way to spend it all. He's got so much wealth, it's, it's just beyond even able to keep track of it all. And now he's got apes and monkeys, and, and again, I read some historical writings that sometimes in those days, what they would do is literally they would uh, get exotic animals and put them on their property and have like literally their own zoo for their family and for the people around them to enjoy. So he goes to the colonies in North Africa, and Solomon's fleet is searching the world over for ways to increase his wealth and for him to amuse himself. So when you're worried more about getting apes and monkeys and golden shields than bringing people to the Lord, I think we've made our priorities wrong. Amen? When we're more worried about tomorrow morning about what the stock market's going to do, don't look at that anyway. But go look at, right, if we're more worried about the stock market than sharing our faith, we're more worried about being successful. Now, again, should you be the best worker in the building? What's the answer? You do your job as unto the Lord. But you know what? Do your job as unto the Lord so that God might be glorified through you. But, it, but the things of this world should not be the priority. Solomon was a learner, was hungry to learn more about the world, and animals would have, would have been far better off devoting his time to studying God's Word. Would have kept things in balance. So point number four there, from wisdom and riches to riches and wisdom. See, I think if we'd gone back and they'd asked him the same question again, his behavior would tell us that riches were more important than godly wisdom. He's had the wisdom long enough, and now he wants the riches. And this has become the priority, sadly, in Solomon's life. And look at verse 23 and 24, salvation is a free gift. It says there, And all the kings of the earth sought the presence of Solomon to hear his wisdom, which God had put in his heart. So were people coming to see Solomon because he had a lot of stuff? What's the answer? No. Now, I'm sure they were blown away by it to some sense. But why were they coming? They were coming because of his wisdom. They were coming because of the fruit of the Holy Spirit in his life. God had given him wisdom, made him the wisest man on the planet. And you know what? 
The, the things of this world are all going to pass away. But godly wisdom, and again, a relationship with God endures forever. It was, rich, it was, it was riches and wis, wisdom and riches earlier, and now it's become riches are the priority. But notice that the world itself is still coming to him. By the way, wealth is empty. Do you know there's more suicides in the people in the top 1% of wealth than the people in the bottom 1%? Because you know what happens when you attain all this stuff and you think it'll make you happy? You know, there's just, you're never going to be satisfied. Your flesh will never be satisfied. The bigger house doesn't get it. The, the, the more fame doesn't get it. The more followers online doesn't get it. All these things you think, if I just get this, then I'll be happy. And then you get there and you're not. It's empty. It says this in Ecclesiastes. It was written by who, by the way? Solomon. It says this, Ecclesiastes 5, 10 to 12. This is New Living Translation. I, I like the translation. It says, those who love money will never have enough. Hey, hello, Solomon. Read your own book, bro. Can I get an amen to that? Those who love money will never have enough. How meaningless is, how meaningless to think that wealth brings true happiness. The more you have, the more people come to help you spend it. So what good is wealth? Except perhaps to watch it slip through your fingers. People who work hard sleep well, whether they eat little or much, but the rich seldom get a good night's sleep. You know, greed is never satisfied. You will never get enough. Learn to work hard so you will sleep well. Amen? And that's written by Solomon, except for that last little portion there, saying that people who have money will never have enough because the flesh will never be satisfied. And sadly, Solomon got caught up in that. And notice what it says here in the next verse. So they came to seek him because of what God had put on his heart. And each man bought his own present of silver and gold and garments and armor and spices and horses and mules at the rate year by year. So every year they had to bring taxes to Solomon. But when they would bring the taxes, they were seeking wisdom. And what, what he wanted from them was wealth. He wanted wealth. They wanted wisdom. Wisdom is the thing we should be seeking. And then it says there in verse 25, Solomon had 4,000 stalls for horses and chariots, 12,000 horsemen who he stationed in the chariot cities with the king at Jerusalem. Now, what are the three things that kings are told not to multiply? Gold, how's he doing on that? Out of control. And horses. And what's he doing? He's multiplying gold and horses. And chariots are like tanks. Literally, in those days, if you had a chariot and you were riding through a bunch of men just standing there with a sword and a shield, you'd plow right through them. And so these were mighty in battle, and they would, you know, they would put sharp things out the edge and be cutting guys out at the knees, and he had all these chariots. Now, again, it's okay to have an army, but some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. Amen? That's a Bible verse. Some trust in chariots and some in horses. But we will remember the name of the Lord our God. So he's got 12,000 horsemen stationed throughout Israel, military cities for protecting against their enemies. And again, it says in Deuteronomy 17, do not multiply horses, do not multiply gold and silver, and do not multiply wives. And again, you know what they were supposed to do? You know what the king was supposed to do every year? Handwrite a copy of God's word. I thought about trying to do that. That would be tough. Can I get an amen to that? handwriting a copy of God's Word. Now, in Solomon's days, that was probably like, you know, eight books or ten books of the Bible, right? But still, 
and the kings would write it, and then they were supposed to read it to their people. I'll tell you what, instead what's been happening in his life is instead of following what the Word of God says, the one he's been writing down, he's chasing the things that the world has to offer, and he's getting his eyes off the Lord. Take heed lest ye fall, because we all can fall that way, can't we? God knew they would put their faith in their military instead of the Lord if they had enough chariots. Do not multiply gold and silver, faith in the bank account, instead of trusting in the Lord. Do not multiply wives. God created marriage to be one man with one woman for a lifetime. Amen? God created marriage for one man with one woman for a lifetime. And, and the Bible says in the last days we'll call good evil and evil good, and right now we don't even know what a man or a woman is. We do, the world just doesn't. They also were warned about having foreign wives. And he says, if you take foreign wives, here's what's going to happen. They're going to bring their false gods into your marriage, and you're going to start worshiping them. And what happened to Solomon? He ends up with a thousand women. They all bring their false gods. And the same man who built the temple is now building altars to all these false gods all over Israel. And they start worshiping all these false gods. And then God brings righteous judgment and they get carried off into Babylonian captivity. And these are the people coming back from Babylon reading this. Okay, that's what Grandpa did. Yeah, we better not do that. Can I get an amen to that? <laughs> right? So that's how we ended up in Babylon, right? And that's exactly what happens. It's, so, it's just so tragic. Don't worship foreign gods. And again, I doubt any of us is going to bow down to a golden calf, but we can to the stock market or our career or something else that we make. Look, I love my kids and grandkids so much I can't see straight, but I need to love Jesus more than I love them. Amen? Okay, why? Because you know what? If I love God more, I'm going to be an amazing dad and an amazing grandpa. Can I get an amen to that? But if we love them more than we love God, now they're idols, right? So we don't want to do that. Now again, as believers, we love deeper than anybody. I, I truly believe that we grieve harder because we love deeper. Why? Because the fruit of the Holy Spirit is agape love, and you can't have agape if you don't know God. Amen? But that love is a deeper love than the world can understand. It's, a love, it's loving someone outside of yourself more than you love yourself. It's a love that gives. It's a love that sacrifices, and that's Christian love. But that love first is for the Lord, and then it's for everything else. Amen? Make Him the priority. He's losing his sight here on what the priority ought to be. And then it says there, they made silver. Again, he reigned over all the kings from the riverland of the Philistines as far as the border of Egypt. So he actually conquers all the lands around him. He's got a great army. He's got everything he could possibly need. He's conquered everybody. And that's when we start to be self-sufficient. That's when we cease to be desperate, when we don't have anything that drives us to our knees in desperation. And then it says there again in verse 27, the king made silver as common in Jerusalem as stones. He made cedar trees as abundant as the sycamores, which are in the lower land. So notice there in point number six, may we never be so successful we cease to be desperate for God. Don't multiply gold, don't multiply horses, don't multiply wives, don't have pagan wives. He did all of it. Godliness with contentment is great gain. My wife and I were talking about this just the other night. Uh, you know, we're empty nesters again. That's tough. All our kids are gone. All our grandkids are gone. Everybody's gone. They all live far away. And some of you can relate to that. 
And, uh, but we were sitting by the fire a couple nights ago, and she goes, and we don't have anything, we have a nice house, we're blessed. But she's like, I love our house. I said, me too. She goes, if someone wanted to give us a house, I said, I know, I love our house, because it's home, amen? And when, and when it's what God has for you, it's, it's enough. We don't need any more, amen? We don't need to be, our backyard is tiny. You guys have been to my house, most of you. It's not, it's not about that, right? But we're, com- it's just, we're so blessed with what God has given us. We need to be thankful with what God has given us, amen? Be content. Godliness with contentment is great gain. And then finally, life is but a vapor. Now watch this. Now the rest of the Acts of Solomon, first and last, are they not written in the book of Nathan, the prophet, in the prophecy of Ahijah and the Shilonite, and in the visions of Edo, the seer concerning Jeroboam, the son of Nebat? Solomon reigned in Jerusalem over Israel 40 years. Now, verse 31, here it's coming for everybody, right? Amen? Here's the results are in. One out of every one person dies. Amen? Okay? <laughs> Everybody's going to die. When I do funerals, I say, if we don't get raptured, one day you're gonna, your body's going to be in this box, and all your people that love you are going to be there. Now, if you know the Lord, good news. Amen? Good news. After from the body, present with the Lord. Then it says this, Then Solomon rested with his fathers, and was buried in the city of David, his father, and Rehoboam, his son, reigned in his place. Now, next week, if you're here, you're going to see that Solomon reaps the wealth and has all this stuff. And guess what? And there's going to be a lot of revolt against Rehoboam when he takes over because of the mess that Solomon left behind. You know, and I pray that we as parents leave our kids. I pray that my kids love Jesus more than I do. Amen. I want to see our kids on fire for God and walking in fellowship with Him. And it's sad. And this is how Solomon's life. To, and again, prosperity has a danger. The older Solomon gets, the wealthier he gets, the more he's going to slip away from where he needs to be. It says in 1 Timothy chapter 6, For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. It says in Deuteronomy 17, we'll close with this, Again, but he shall not multiply horses for himself, nor cause his people to return to Egypt to multiply horses. By the way, where's he getting the horses? Where did it tell you he was getting them? Egypt. And it says right in that verse, or they will return to Egypt to buy more horses. For the Lord has said to you, you shall not return that way again, neither shall he multiply wives for himself, lest he turn him away, nor shall he greatly multiply silver or gold. We're seeing Solomon going down two of these three danger trails in tonight's text. And again, if you read back in 1 Kings, the next chapter, it's the women. And so the wisest man who ever lived according to the word of God took his eyes off of the Lord and put his eyes on the things of the world. And if that's true about the wisest man who never lived, take heed lest ye fall. Amen? Because it can happen to all of us, right? We get so caught up. We get so caught up in politics. We should vote. Amen? But our hope is not in who gets, who's in the White House. Our hope is in who's on the throne of grace and almighty God's on the throne. Amen? And he's faithful. Let's keep our eyes on Jesus. So in closing, what is a prophet of man to gain the whole world, lose his soul? You don't have to advertise a fire. The words of wisdom can, that only come from the Lord will draw people to the truth. Happy is a man or woman who walks in intimate fellowship with God. Where your treasures, there your heart will be also. Solomon goes from wisdom and riches to riches and wisdom. Salvation is a free gift. Again, Christ-centered ministry focuses on people. By the way, in this whole chapter, do you see Solomon mention God one time? What's the answer? Not one time. Doesn't talk about God one time. 
If the queen of Sheba showed up, he should have set her down and talked to her about God. Amen? Instead, he got a bunch of money from her, gave her money back, and answered her questions. May we never be so successful that we cease to be desperate for the Lord and life is but a vapor. Heavenly Father, we thank you, we praise you, we love you. Thank you for everyone who's here tonight. We thank you for your word, that it's living and breathing and sharper than a two-edged sword. And I pray, Lord, we would not be satisfied with anything less than your highest. Help us, Lord, to seek first your kingdom, to make you the priority and passion of our lives. May we not fall into the trap of getting caught up so much with the things of this world that we make you less than the number one priority in our lives. May we always seek first your kingdom and your glory. We ask these things in Jesus' name. All God's people said...